Hi, friends. This is Melissa Euler, and I'm Heidi's executive coach. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Birth Story Podcast, where you'll hear me talk about my transition from corporate America to being a life coach, as well as my two planned cesarean sections, recovery, and all the fun in between. I've been working with Heidi for a little more than two years now, helping her shift gears from corporate America to stay-at-home mom and growing Birth Story Media from $0 to over six figures in less than two years. And I'd love to help you live your dreams as well. If you want to learn more about working with me via one-on-one coaching or my Thriving Mothers group coaching program, you can visit my website at melissauler.com. That's M-E-L-I-S-S-A-U-H-L-I-R.com. And if you just want to join in the fun and get some positivity in your feed, you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook, both at Melissa Euler. Okay, let's get to it. What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does a day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hydes. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. Hey guys, before we get started, I just wanted to share with you a little bit about Melissa Euler and Melissa Euler Coaching. She is my executive coach. So Melissa is a former finance executive turned life and leadership coach. And she's really passionate about helping women thrive. Let me tell you about how I met Melissa. I had left corporate America after 15 years, making lots and lots of money, much more than my partner. And I was feeling that urge inside to like shift, to change. My son had just been diagnosed with cerebral palsy and I felt like I needed to be home, but I also felt like I needed to be at work doing something. So Melissa helped me get really focused and creative and polish what eventually became Birth Story Media. A couple of months after I quit corporate America to take care of my child and perhaps grow a business, I found out I was going to be a single mother. My marriage was ending. And I was so thankful for Melissa Euler and Melissa Euler Coaching because she helped me grow a business in less than two years to a six-figure income. If you are feeling that nagging feeling inside of you that your life needs a shift to, maybe just a focus or a transition in your life as you're entering maybe motherhood for the first time or motherhood again, then I urge you to reach out to Melissa Euler. She has an amazing Thriving Mothers Group coaching program And she starts everything with a discovery call. 
so you can book a 30-minute discovery call to get a taste for what it's like to work with Melissa. And if you book a discovery call and mention that you heard all about Melissa from my birth story podcast, she is going to give you a free one-on-one coaching session added to any package that you may purchase. That's a $200 value. Trust me, I pay it weekly. It is worth every dime. So all you ambitious women out there listening to this podcast, maybe you're a stay-at-home mom, maybe you have your own business, maybe you're in corporate America, maybe you've been dreaming about what's next in this next chapter. You're juggling a lot of things. I know. I was too. So I urge you to reach out to Melissa if you are on the brink of change and look for that extra support and encouragement in her. She will help you reach your goals with ease. I promise. All right, let's get to it. Hey, Melissa, welcome to the Birth Story Podcast. Good morning. Good morning, Heidi. Thanks for having me. It's very fun for me to be interviewing you today because we usually spend each week together having coffee, but talking all about my business and how to grow myself as a person and how to grow Birth Story Media. So it's really fun to turn the microphone around today and be interviewing you. Let's start off by telling my audience all about you and your words, because they're going to hear a lot about you and my words over the next couple of weeks, as I thank you so much for you and Melissa Euler coaching for sponsoring the next few episodes for the Birth Story podcast. So my story is that I was a finance executive for about 15 years, and had both my kids while I was doing that job, returned from maternity leave both times. And then about three years ago, I decided I just needed a change. And so I took some time off and became a life and leadership coach. And you are my very first client. We've been working together now for two and a half years, I guess, or two Mm -hmm. years. Two and a half years. And that's it. So I really work mostly with working moms, helping them thrive through transition, find their footing. So we have to dig really deep on that, Melissa. Okay, great. When you say finance executive, I mean, that means you were high ranking at a bank making a lot of money. And with that comes with a lifestyle. So really help us understand, like, was it hard for you to go back to work? I mean, kind of what were those internal feelings that you were feeling that when you would put your suit on and head into work and and you were in New Jersey, correct? So taking the train into New York City, we need to understand there are moms right now on maternity leave listening to this podcast and are like feeling some feelings. So can you share a little bit about what it was like to like be a mom, have this high ranking, high paying job and having an internal struggle going on inside you? It's interesting. I think every woman has a different story and a different relationship to their career and motherhood and what mix of that they strive to create. For me, I loved working and I always felt like I would have a job or some sort of occupation outside of motherhood. I just think that the time that I spent away from my children and doing those things made me a better mom when I came back to them at the end of the day. So for, for me, I worked 
full-time, I guess, until my youngest daughter was one and a half. So for that, it was really, we had great help. I mean, we had a nanny who worked 60 hours a week and supported us and kept our household running and loved our children. We felt safe with her and that stability really helped clear my mind of the worry that my children weren't being cared for and loved in my absence. Um, my husband also has, and, and did at the time, a pretty demanding, very demanding job. He also has a, had a big role. So for the two of us, it was finding balance and partnership. So he would go to work earlier in the morning. I would manage the mornings. He would come home in the evening, and I got to stay a little bit later at work. But for us, what worked was really preserving weekends. We did not make any commitments outside of family time or with other people with our family on the weekends and just found a balance with travel and all of that. I think the key for mamas having anxiety is to just take it one step at a time, to listen to your intuition, to know when it's the right time to explore something different. But I encourage you to try to make it work. And I think what we're seeing slowly, very slowly, but surely is some support from employers that working moms need a little bit more flexibility, particularly when their children are very small. Did you find that with your employer, you didn't have that flexibility? Honestly, the reason why I left corporate, the corporate world really did not have to do with my kids. And I can get into that. I think, so my employer in general did not have a lot of flexibility, but I happened to work for good people who gave me flexibility inherent in my job. One of the biggest challenges was I found that I felt more unrelatable, if that makes sense. You know, in my profession, there are a lot of men, some men with working spouses and partners, but many without. And even when you look up the ranks, the really successful women had partners that stayed home. So it was hard to look up and see women with working partners that had a successful career and a family and everything else happened behind the scenes. So I think that's where it started to break down for me is I couldn't see a version of myself and my life looking up or beside me. And so it started to feel a little bit lonely, but I would say overall, the people that I worked with were supportive of my endeavors to be good at my job and also show up as a a good version of a mom. When did you start thinking about leaving corporate America? I would say with the type of job that I have, it's high highs and low lows, right? So I feel like you're always thinking about making a change, growing, shifting. I, I have a growth mindset. So I think it's been in the back of my head for a long period of time, whether it's just again, making a change or getting a promotion or leaving altogether. But I would say the pressing thoughts of finding something different started maybe six months before I actually made the decision. And then I ended up staying in my job for another three months after I officially resigned just to help kind of transition and, and bridge a gap. And I would say I was fortunate enough that my employer actually gave me a leave of absence to take some time off. It was unpaid, but what that would have offered me was the opportunity after 15 years that 
if in six months I wanted to come back to the firm in some capacity, they would have helped me make that transition back to work, um, which I found just extremely generous. Again, given all the circumstances, what was rewarded for me was loyalty and longevity and honesty, ultimately. So that was three years ago. Yes. And you have two children. I do. Henry and Olive. And so how old were Henry and Olive at that time of transition? Olive was one and a half and Henry was three. Okay. So very young kids. Yes. Well, we're going to get into your birth stories, which include two cesarean sections. So this is a great episode for everyone to tune in and stay with us. If you are planning your cesarean or if you happen to find yourself in a situation in which a cesarean section may be indicated or chosen. So I'm really going to dig deep with Melissa on her cesarean sections and her recovery and some positive tips and tricks. Before we go too far into the birth stories, though, I just want to hear a little bit more from you, Melissa, about Melissa Euler coaching and really that transition, because this is a really important topic, right? You said it really wasn't about my kids, why you left. For a lot of us, it is about our kids and it makes a shift. My audience knows I left corporate America because my child was diagnosed with cerebral palsy, number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, I had all of those things going on inside me. Like, right? Do I get the promotion? Do I make more money? At the time, I was making more money than my spouse. And so it was very difficult to have a huge life change, giving up 75% of our income to stay home. Didn't last long, as you know, it lasted like three months before I started building Birth Story Media with you. <laughs> but I want to hear about when you say it wasn't about my kids, what was it about then? You spent 15 years. Yeah. So what was it? I think what I talked a little bit about, about before is I was lonely. I felt a little bit unrelatable and I felt like I was losing myself. So when I say it wasn't about my kids, I think becoming a mother and as they got older, just generally the demands that grew of managing the household, running the household. And I have a great partner, by the way, like we were 50% in it. You know, he really shows up for our family still as a 50% partner in parenting and managing the house. So I'm very fortunate as far as that goes. That was just always the way we were going to be. But I think for me, it really became the sense of loneliness and the sense of my job had been such a big part of my life and it helped fulfill me and balance that the stress and pulls of motherhood. And then it stopped doing that. I was leaving my job feeling drained rather than inspired. So I would go home to my children and have less to give to them because I was just being depleted at work. And that goes, I mean, there were a lot of things happening in my industry at that time too. Regulation was changing. Things were shifting. The way that we were able to work with our clients was changing. And so it was just a less joyful place to be and overall less fulfilling. So I found myself in that same situation. You did. I know we're not alone, especially with the women that are listening to the podcast today. What are some of the resources that you turned to? Mentors, books, podcasts that really helped inspire you to 
lead you through your own change? Great question. So I've always been a seeker. I've always had a growth mindset. And so, you know, reading personal development books, consuming that sort of content was always interesting to me. Being a part of the women's network at work, mentoring junior talent, that was always an important thing to me. I really enjoyed it. When I decided to make this transition, I was talking to a friend of mine who said, you should talk to my friend who's a life coach. And so when I made that decision, I hired a life coach and quickly increased my level of self-awareness and was inspired by her to just make different changes. She shepherded me through that transition of working full-time 60 plus hours a week to being at home with my kids and trying to find what was next. Because for me, it wasn't the intent wasn't to leave corporate America and be a full-time mother indefinitely. It was to leave corporate America and then what find the next chapter. Working with my coach, and I still work with her today, so we've been working together for three years, and understanding what her process was, and also just being still and giving myself permission to pause. And I would say that in hindsight, all of these transitions on top of each other, so transitioning out of corporate, transitioning back to being at home, then trying to transition into life coaching and getting all that education. It's a lot of change. And if I had to do it again, I probably would have stayed more engaged at work, hired a coach while I was working and really do that work so that when I'm transitioning away from a job that wasn't fulfilling into one that is very much aligned and inspiring to me, it would have been with a little less turbulence. Yeah. I'm going to add to that make sure that that coach that you hire isn't from your company and about your development in that company. I found myself very high up in corporate America and my employer gave me a coach, but that coach was all about developing my talent and my growth within that corporation. It didn't really serve me at all for my own personal journey of my next chapter. So I really want to be clear with that with our audience. If this is something that you're thinking about, you need to seek out your own coach and invest in your own coach outside of what your employer may provide for you. So I know we connect on books and podcasts, and they're critical in development. So just rattle off some for me. You know, if you're listening to this podcast, I think you love podcasts. So what are some other podcasts that can help you if you're thinking about this journey of maybe changing your life? maybe becoming what I like joke is a mompreneur, right? Like you're a mom and you're an entrepreneur. If you're making a major career change, if you're leaving a job, you know, it's not really therapy, but I mean, there are things about your marriage, your kids, your friendships that come up in life coaching, in my executive coaching and personal coaching. Let's give them a list. What are some of the key ones that have really changed our lives? So a couple that I'm listening to now and that I have listened to over the time. And I want to say part of this is being able to know what's next is spending some time really understanding yourself. And I think that's where coaching comes into play. It's getting in touch with yourself and keeping your mind healthy and balanced. And I think that that helps provide clarity so that when the right thing comes along, you recognize it because you're in this state of clarity and peacefulness. A couple that I love, my coach actually started a podcast called Permission to Choose by Steph Ziv. 
She brings people on every week that talk about different choices that they've made in their lives. And there's a lot about growing businesses, shifting careers, things like that. I love Oprah's Super Soul Sessions. I mean, I think there's a lot to get from there. Certainly not all centered on career transitions, but just life lessons in general. And I find them empowering. I love Brene Brown's Unlocking Us and Dare to Lead. I think you can search by her topics and just find ones that are relevant to you or what you're processing. And the other podcast I go to a lot is just the Goop podcast. She has a lot of really great interviews that talk about living holistically and living as a true version of yourself, a whole version of yourself. And I appreciate a lot of her conversations. I love it. Can I add some of mine? Yes, please. All right. I'm going to add some of mine and I'm obsessed with Guy Raz's How I Built This, an NPR podcast that if you are interested in any company like Tom's, Chicken Salad Chick, Stitch Fix, I mean, you name the company, Guy Raz has interviewed the CEO on how they built that company. And I just find it, I listened to the Chipotle one last week. I mean, I just find it absolutely fascinating. So I absolutely also love Jenna Kutcher's The Gold Digger podcast and the Rachel Hollis podcast with Rachel Hollis. It used to be called Rise. There has been some recent controversy, as there are with most celebrities when you get a million plus followers and and make it big. But despite all of that, in 2018, when my life was falling apart, those three podcasts are what really helped inspire me and helped me to build this business alongside with being a student of yours with Melissa Euler Coaching. So those are some of the takeaways. I'll link to them in the show notes. Uh, If this is, you've got your wheels turning and you've jumped onto this birth story podcast, but you know, you've heard several stories here of, I love interviewing moms who are birthing something else as they change, right? As they grow into motherhood, our lives tended to awaken in new ways. So thank you so much for sharing a little bit about that. Thank you for sponsoring this podcast in several episodes. And let's dig in to your birth stories. Let's do it. So where were you? How old were you? Like, did you plan to get pregnant? I need to know all of it. I will give you all of it. When my husband and I were married about a little more than a year, we had recently moved into a new home and just sort of decided one day, like, hey, why don't we try to get pregnant? And at that point I was... 31 and or 32, I guess I got pregnant. I'd been on birth control, I guess, since I was 17 and without a break, I went on off birth control on January 1st and we were pregnant in March. Wow. That's really fast to get your cycle back. It was really fast. And I've always been 28 days like clockwork. Now, Granted, I was on the pill, so that makes a lot of sense, but always been pretty regular. So I was lucky in that respect. Did you know you ovulated? Like, did you do an ovulation test or did you just pull birth control and just have wild sex without, you know, wild abandoned sex? Oh, to have wild sex. Um, I'm sorry. Maybe it was very conservative, boring sex. I was just looking. No, I'm sure back then it was great. (laughs) 
Pouring <laughs> 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 a six-year-old put a little damper on on the wildness. But anyway. We just have to be quieter these days. That's true. That's true. <laughs> we did not take an ovulation test. I didn't get to that point yet. Even though I'm at that stage of my life, very focused on like controlling things and having things just so. I, I think because it happened so fast, I didn't get into that. I was tracking it just to track like, you know, on, I don't even remember what app I used, honestly, but so they showed you your fertile days. And one lesson I learned is that my husband was traveling during my fertile days in March and we conceived our son like two days after what would have been my normal fertile days. So for yeah, what it's worth. That's amazing. Because I think those apps are one size fits all, right? So this right. is so important that we talk about it. Do the app, try it, whatever, if you're 25 years old. If you are 32 and you got lucky, like Melissa, okay, good. But if you are more than 25 years old, I absolutely believe in the actual ovulation sticks, which is science, right? Pee on that thing and see if you are ovulating. Like the fact that we have that technology through our urine is simply amazing to me. I have a client right now, she's gonna do a home birth in November and I was her doula for her first. And we probably talked for six months and she was like, I don't know why it's happening. I got pregnant so easily the first time. And I literally said to her, and she's a nurse practitioner, I'm like, but are you actually tracking true ovulation with ovulation sticks? And she was like, no. And I was like, do that thing. And so the next month she texted me and was like, I love you. You were right. I was absolutely ovulating way later and our sex was mistimed. So unless you're just having sex every day, every other day, which is like high five, if that's your Good sex life. You. Yeah, go for it. Good. Woo. You know, <laughs> but for the rest of us, you know, maybe you got to time it out a little bit. And if you're going to time it out, definitely use those ovulation sticks. So Melissa, you got a little bit lucky and that sounds with your fertility journey. It was amazing. Yeah. But I always say where one thing is easy, the next thing is difficult or challenging in a different way, right? So. You're pregnant. How'd you find out? Did you feel like dirt? Oh, this is a good story, actually. Because my, my, I went off in January, 28 days in January, 28 days in February and March, I was supposed to get my period on a Wednesday or yeah, Wednesdays. It was Thursday and I didn't get it, but I felt really crampy. Like I, you know, I felt like I was going to have my period. Friday didn't get it. I was traveling for work on Friday. And then my husband was meeting me in Nashville for a friend's 40th birthday celebration. And I got there and I just brought a pregnancy test. I was like, I need to understand where I'm at before I start dancing on the tables. Yeah. So (laughs) I took a pregnancy test in a hotel room in Nashville before I went to meet my friends at a bar and it was positive. No, I mean, yes, but no, you know, yes, but no. And I was like, holy crap. I, I couldn't believe it. So I think the feeling was just this disbelief and excitement, like unbelievable butterflies, kind of like the feeling of when you get engaged or like when you're walking down the aisle at your wedding, it's just this change that's upon you. So I went to the bar 
saw my friends, didn't know what to do, bought everybody a drink, bought myself a vodka soda. And I'm a wine drinker, by the way, and beer. And I drink vodka, but very occasionally. And by vodka soda, I meant I just ordered a club soda and went to the table. And my friend's like, what are you drinking? I said, a vodka soda. And she's like, you're pregnant. And I just started bawling in the bar in the middle of Nashville. And 10 of my friends knew before my husband knew. Because she knew you would never order that drink. And probably because it could have been a possibility that I was trying to get pregnant. Oh, wow. So everybody found out before your husband. That's right. Don't feel too bad about that. The first person I called was my friend Tara. (laughs) And I said, so I took a pregnancy test like in the parking lot and I kind of see a faint line. What do you think? And she was like, if there is any line at all, Heidi, you are pregnant. And I was like, well, crap. Now I called you instead of, and I was like, well, I guess I'm pregnant. And then later I had to go home and tell my partner. And I was like, and you're not the first person. I'm sorry. So your husband, Jeff, was actually the 11th person then. That's right. I love it. What was his reaction? I think the same, a little bit of disbelief. You know, I think that whole weekend we had a wonderful wonderful time. It was a great trip, but just felt like you're floating on a cloud a little bit. Like, oh my goodness, feels surreal. Mm -hmm. And instantly you're like, what do I eat? What do I drink? How do I sleep? I mean, it's so funny. (laughs) People are smoking in bars around me in Nashville and I'm like, get away from me. (laughs) Because you're like this bait, now I'm pregnant, but then there's that this baby needs to stay. So I don't want to jump too far ahead, but did you miss Gary or is this Henry? I didn't. This is Henry. This is Henry. Okay. Yes. So your pregnancy went on smoothly. Tell me about it. How did you feel? Honestly, I felt pretty good. I know everyone. I got pregnant easily. And I also was one of those women that loved being pregnant and I just felt good. So my story was, I didn't really have a lot of food cravings. I had food aversions. So I ate like a ton of Cheerios with bananas and a ton of egg salad. Like touching meat was not my thing during pregnancy. Melissa's face right now talking about meat, just thinking about it is like, (laughs) (laughs) it was not, it was not good. And I, I love, I eat meat on a regular basis in normal life, but not while I was pregnant, but overall I felt good. I had energy. I didn't exercise a lot because my doctor didn't really want me to. And I'm one of those people that gets a fairly high heart rate when I exercise. Like if I'm doing heavy cardio, my heart rate gets to like 180 and sometimes higher. And he didn't want my heart rate getting up above 150 for any sustainable period of time. So I walked a lot, but I didn't exercise a ton. And, but I kept working and I even traveled up to like my 30th third or fourth week. That high paying finance job makes you get on airplanes a lot. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if, uh, if it was them or me, I was more determined to, to do it than probably I was required to, but I'm good with 33 weeks. I literally have doula clients weekly, weekly on this phone, text messaging me. So Heidi, what do you think about me going to the beach with my mom. It's like only four hours away. I'll be 38 and a half weeks. And I'm like, (laughs) I mean, are you asking me to validate your no? Because I'm never going to say yes to that. I'm good with flying till 33, 30, 
five weeks. Yeah. And I was also, my pregnancy was normal and fine. And it was my first one. And my doctor was fine with it too. Like he signed off on everything and we were in good shape. I am interrupting this amazing birth story to remind you about Melissa Euler Coaching and thanking her for sponsoring this episode. The way you can get a hold of Melissa is by going to melissauler.com. That is M-E-L-I-S-S-A-U-H-L-I-R.com or following her on Instagram at Melissa Euler. And don't forget, if you book a discovery call, mention Birth Story Podcast for a free one-on-one coaching session with her, a $200 value if you book a package with her. All right, now back to this birth story. So tell me what you were thinking. Did you hire a doula? Did you want to have a medicated birth? Did you want to have an unmedicated birth? Like what was your concept of what birth would look like for you? I wish I could say I was more intentional. So the story with my birth is that my husband and I had just started talking about it as it relates to, did we want to try unmedicated? What did we think? And I think generally speaking, I would have been more in the camp of a medicated birth in a hospital, potentially a doula, but delivered by doctors. I loved my OBGYN. I still love him, but we found out Henry was breached at I think 24 weeks and he never moved. Being breech at 24 weeks is normal. Being breech at 28 weeks is normal for everybody listening. Being breech at 31 weeks is normal. Mm-hmm. Sometime around 33, 34, they usually have start to make their descent to head down if they haven't already. And spoiler alert, we have two podcast episodes coming up with Breach Without Borders and a vaginal breech birth that was a surprise (laughs) from a mom in Hawaii. So that's, we have some more data and podcast information coming up on breech. But for anyone who hears like breech at 24 and you're about to tell your story, I want you to hear that's normal. Don't worry about it. Yeah. We don't start to worry about it till the end. So Henry's breech, but then he stays breech. He stays breech. How often were you getting ultrasounds to check position? They were checking more, like they could feel his head on the top of my belly. Mm -hmm. So they were doing that more, but I was getting ultrasounds. I think at that point, every four weeks, maybe. Okay. You have a really good OB because a butt and a head, they're kind of hard to tell the difference. I'll be honest. I mean, unless you weigh 110 pounds and you can basically see through your skin. I mean, it is really kind of hard to to tell a difference between a butt and a head. So they were kind of doing manual and then mm-hmm. every four weeks, which is good because this yeah. the FDA says no extra ultrasounds that we don't need. So every four weeks is pretty conservative. And then breach, 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 breach. So at what point did your doctor say, I think he's staying breach? <laughs> Well, I think we scheduled the ultrasound just in case at 30 weeks or before, maybe 28 weeks. Okay. But they did an ultrasound in the hospital to confirm he was breached still before we went into delivery. Okay. 
Did your doctor offer you an external version? He did not. He was not supportive of that. I did my own research about some ways to try to flip him. I tried, you know, music near my crotch and frozen peas on my top of my belly. And I tried sitting upside down and a few little things. But after a long weekend, it's almost like I could feel my son getting frustrated in the womb and getting uncomfortable and getting mad, particularly about the frozen peas. Um, So I finally just released it and said, what will be, will be. So he stays breech. Your OBGYN is not a supporter of an external version. And so you were presented, I'm assuming, with no choice or did they give you a choice, a vaginal breech birth or a cesarean section? I don't know if there was a choice, but I didn't consider doing a vaginal birth. Okay. So that would be a choice. (laughs) I guess. I mean, I made the choice. I don't remember. Yeah. Yes. You made a choice without your provider's input, and that is absolutely fine. So you made a choice. What was best for you and your family and your body was to go ahead with a scheduled cesarean section. Were you sad about that? A little bit of like, you know, not experiencing that. But I knew we wanted other children and my OB was supportive of VBACs after one cesarean. So I knew that there was a possibility for our next child that I could experience it. Okay. And before going into that cesarean, did they talk to you about like, we're going to do a double layer stitch or how we're going to do the surgery so that it would be safe for VBAC? They did not. He knew, but he knew that that was my intention with our next child. So I didn't, I don't know. Yeah. I was expecting your answer to be no, I'll be honest. And the (laughs) the reason I asked it, because I want people to hear if you were going in for a C-section, ask questions like that, right? What type of stitching are you going to do? What's necessary to make sure that my uterus is strong enough? for a VBAC and safe enough. And after the procedure, talk to me about it. How did it go? Am I a candidate for a VBAC after what you just did? You know, at your six-week appointment, make sure you check in, right? Is everything healing correctly? Does my uterus look like it's safe if I were to get pregnant again? How long after my cesarean section should I wait to get pregnant again, right? Lots of questions that we can ask to prepare for the second one. So I kind of led you into that because I was, I know OBGYNs and midwives really well. And I know that we just don't have time. We just don't have time, right? So you schedule a cesarean section, which is wild to me because sometimes I think, is that, is that just easier, you know? Because the waiting game can sometimes be just brutal. So I wanted to ask you about the waiting game when you know the exact day that you're going to have a baby? Well, Heidi, we have a twist to the story. (sighs) Can't wait. So I'll plug a couple. One other thing that I think is interesting to share about this pregnancy is this happened in both my pregnancies, but in this one, it was the first. So when my husband and I had intercourse while I was pregnant, I bled, which the first couple of times it happened, I went to the doctor and they did an ultrasound just to make sure everything was fine. And my doctor just said to me, this is just going to be normal. So you can either continue to do it or not. And my husband and I chose to not continue to have intercourse throughout my pregnancy after penetrative or intercourse, correct? correct. Penetrative so, or, which is, a, it's a key a point, right? 
that I want to make is that we can have sex and we can have intimacy without penetration. That's right. right? Absolutely. But for us, the un- the feeling of being unsettled wasn't worth it. No so way. we decided to table that for um, the duration of my pregnancy after that happened until the Saturday I was 38 weeks pregnant. We had sex and my water broke 10 hours later. You are speaking so much information about your husband right now. For those that can like wink, wink, get the underlying uh, message here. But to reach your cervix, if you do reach the cervix, it's hyper irritable. It bleeds. As you get closer to the end, your bag of water can bulge a little bit. <laughs> but I, I'm picking up what you're laying down and you go, girl. Good. Mm. Okay, so you have it scheduled. It's on the calendar for what, yeah. like the like the next week? Two weeks later. Two weeks. So you a had a week four- and a half. So I still had a week and a half left of work. I still had, or at least a week left of work. And you yeah. were like, okay, baby's good. I'm full term. Like it's it's worth it. I need it. Let's do it. Yeah. Yes. So your water broke during sex or like no, no, right no. afterwards? So, well, that would have that was in the morning, and then. In the evening, we had pizza. He drank a couple of beers. My husband was sleeping on the couch. I was in our laundry room changing laundry from the washer to the dryer. And my water broke. And when I know some people don't have that gushing experience, I had the gushing experience. I'm like getting stressed out right now. (laughs) Couple of things. Semen has a lot of prostaglandins. It ripens your cervix. So if you're like ready... We tell everybody, have if, if you are in a heterosexual relationship, right, yeah. and it's able, we're like, have penetrative sex with ejaculation so the semen can soften the cervix. So you were probably ripe and ready, right? I guess. Yeah. You were going to have a baby early anyway. So you were ripe and ready. This oxytocin, orgasm, all those kinds of things help. But I literally can't, like, what do you do? You're like, oh my God, my baby's breached. My water just broke. And I'm, I have a C-section scheduled in 10 days. What do you do? You're giving me a lot of credit that all those thoughts went through my head. My head was like, <laughs> holy crap, my water broke. And oh my gosh, it won't stop coming out of me. <laughs> so first things first was like, I don't even have my act together. My husband's sleeping on the couch. I have to get this together. So I called my doctor. I had read somewhere to buy like, feminine diapers for after you deliver to wear for the bleeding instead of thick pads. So I happen to have those. So I put those on because the fluid was continuing to come out of me. So smart. Everyone put depends on your list for your labor. And I never needed them afterwards, thankfully, but it saved me when my water broke and I went through two of them before I left the house and one on the way to the hospital. Wow. It was crazy. So then I called my doctor and my doctor was panicked because what I learned during that was that the baby's umbilical cord could start to be delivered, which would put the baby in distress. And at this time I was living in Hoboken and we were delivering at Lenox Hill, which is on the Upper East Side. So thankfully it was late at night. There wasn't a whole lot of traffic. We were able to make that trip fast, but I had to wake up my husband on the couch and be like, get up, it's time to go. <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 we're, we're going in 10 days. <laughs> The cord, nope. the cord can prolapse at any time. So I want to make sure I share that. So if your baby's head is down, but high up, 
and your water breaks. So like we call it like a station compared to your ischial spines. Mm. So if the baby's head down, it could be negative three, which is three centimeters above, negative two, negative one. If the baby's head is anywhere around negative three, negative four, even head down, the umbilical cord can slip up in front of the head and prolapse out. It can also happen more often breach, especially if it's footling breach, if the feet are down and the head is up. Less often if you're frank breach, which is butt down babies in a pike position. And that's what he was. Okay, perfect. Because the butt will typically drop down into your pelvis and kind of block the cord from prolapsing. It can still happen. It is very concerning. So you do want to go straight to the hospital. You know, if you are having a planned cesarean section and your baby is breached, just to make sure that that cord doesn't prolapse. I would also recommend if you know what the feeling is inside your vagina, putting your hand in there and making sure that your vagina feels like what it's supposed to feel like and it doesn't feel different. So, so you get there. So you have all like, I mean, that's crazy for like New Jersey, New York, but like you get there and is your doctor just happened to be on call that night? I think this is a plug for my doctor because I don't know if he was on call, but he showed up. He was the one that answered my call. He was the one that showed up. He was in a practice of three doctors at that time. He came to the hospital. He was about 20 minutes behind us, I guess. Wow. So you get there and what happens? They take ultrasounds of the baby, hook hook me up to monitors, get me in a gown, make sure that everything's fine. And I actually, my water breaking did cause active labor for me. So I was in labor having contractions from the time my water broke until I was in an OR. Painful contractions? I mean, I remember them as fairly painful, but... So strong. It wasn't like mild little like, oh, I'm having a contraction. It's like, ooh, okay, get me, get this baby out. (laughs) I need it. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't, I needed to stop when they were happening and take some deep breaths and not talk. And okay, I don't, you know, because I didn't labor to term. I don't really have a basis for comparison of strong versus weak, but yeah, it, it felt hard. Yeah. I can imagine that would have been very surprising if you were thinking, I don't have to have a contraction. I don't have to have a contraction. No, like I'm having a cesarean section. I don't know if that was like, you loved that. How did you feel about having contractions? I appreciated that because this is a little bit of a spoiler alert, but my daughter was delivered via planned C-section. It was nice. It was the only part of active labor I experienced, which I appreciated that. I got to experience my water breaking. I got to experience the thrill of the unknown and the surprise of something that I wasn't expecting. Did you know Henry's biological sex or did you wait to find out? No, we knew. You know, okay. Yeah, we had the blood test early on to just test for all the things when I was think 11 weeks or 12 weeks. So, okay. So your doctor arrives. Doctor arrives. And had you ever had anesthesia before? I had, but not like not the spinal block. Okay. So this was a little bit different. To be awake, but feel kind of out of it. Yeah. Now, what was that like? Were you like, can you just walk us through kind of what it was like to get that spinal anesthesia and know that you're getting wheeled into an OR? Like if you could share with us where your head was. 
Sure. I think for us, we were feeling and I was feeling more excitement than fear. We were really excited to meet our baby. And I think because I had expected a C-section and that's what we had planned on, I felt okay with that. I also really trusted my doctor. So getting the anesthesia in general, the anesthesiologist, I remember, I remember all the staff being very kind and nurturing at the hospital. So I felt safe. And I remember I just gave my doctor a really big hug over his shoulders and the anesthesiologist gave me a shot. And your husband was with you? Not during that process. He came in um, after they had laid me down and kind of wrapped me up in a warm, warm blanket up top. And then he was allowed in before they started the surgery. Okay. Now I've never had a C-section. I've witnessed many of them. Did you feel anything? No pain. I felt them moving them around. Like I remember knowing when he was about to be born because I could feel that. I could feel the baby moving out of my body, Okay, essentially. So more like pressure or release of pressure? Yeah. I think the way that they describe it as you feel pressure makes sense. It's not a painful pressure. It's just movement. Like you feel tugging and moving on your body. Okay. Wild. It was wild. Mm -hmm. Did he cry right away? That I don't remember. I think so. I don't remember feeling nervous that something was wrong. (laughs) Now, did like, did Jeff get to like cut the cord or? No. Okay. He had to stay behind the curtain. So I don't even know that they let him. Maybe he peeked over, but I don't think so. I think he just stayed with me until they brought the baby around. The way that they do it in this city where I practice as a doula is the doctor cuts the cord, but like keeps it long. And then like later, it's like a, I almost think it's, I'm, it's just an interesting process. And then they'll allow either the mom or the grandma or someone to cut the cord to shorten it. So there's still kind of that rite of passage or something. I don't know. I'll be honest. I don't quite understand it because the cord's already cut, but you know, I think it's kind of nice that they at least offer choices, you know, yeah. here, which is neat. So Henry goes over, presumably, to like a little warmer to get checked out. Yep. And then did he get to come to you in the OR or? He did. He did. Okay. He did. So they brought him over and I got to smoosh his little face. And then my husband went with him to... I don't even know where the nursery they went. He went with the baby to be checked out while they stitched me up. Okay. And then we, the three of us reconvened in recovery. So you, it sounds like you had a really beautiful experience. It felt that way. Yes. Safe. Very exciting, you know, little drama, a little exciting, but it sounds like you felt safe. You felt heard. You felt respected. You had choices, all of these things. Because you said you really, really love your OBGYN. Okay, Melissa, we have just a little bit of time left. And I want to have my audience hear from you on a couple of things. Healing from a cesarean section postpartum. But before we get to that piece, because I know that you've had two cesarean sections. So Henry's healthy. You become a mom. We've already heard you go back to work. When did you... Or I don't know, maybe you didn't decide. When did you get pregnant again or decide to get pregnant again? Olive was conceived when Henry was 
nine months old and I never got a period in between the two kids. Girls, <laughs> listen up. <laughs> so we knew, I knew it was a possibility that I could get pregnant while nursing. I had been on birth control for a short period of time. And then we just decided not to, cause we knew we wanted a second child. But sure enough, we got pregnant the very first time I ovulated after Henry was born. And you wouldn't have even known you were ovulating because you never had a period. Never even thought about it. And so how in the world do you know you were pregnant? We went to a wedding and I only had a couple glasses of wine. And the next morning I felt so sick. And I just looked at my husband and said, I wonder if I'm pregnant. And we took a pregnancy test and got home from the wedding. And sure enough. It's so funny to me. I'm like laughing. I'm like, I guess it was like the, during the time where everyone was getting married and I mean, because your first story, like you miss the bachelorette party or whatever it is. And, and then this time it's like, well, let's just drink and then we'll find out afterwards. Wow. I mean, not that I'm sorry. I didn't know. Like, it's like, oh, I feel like dude, doo doo from drinking and ta-da. I mean, yeah. Like I said at the beginning, some people have different challenges when it comes to pregnancy, birth, labor, parenthood, right? Yeah. So no fertility journeys for you. And Not for me. I will say the challenge with my second pregnancy was that I don't think my body went all the way back the first time, you know, because were my son was nine months old. My kids are 18 months apart. So I, everything just gave out sooner. Carrying my daughter felt much harder, much more laborious. It felt like everything was going to fall out. Did you <laughs> wear a pregnancy band or a belly band to support your belly? I did. So all you mamas, I don't recommend Googling this unless you have it, but I ended up getting varicose veins on my vulva from my daughter, like just so much pressure from her. So I wore the pregnancy band that went around your belly and then crisscrossed underneath your legs to yep. just hold everything up. And that was the only way I was comfortable for the second two thirds of my pregnancy. Thank you for sharing. Right now, there are so many people that are like, what? You can get varicose veins on your vagina. You can. Mm. And it is painful and not pretty. And I made my doctor swear to me they would go away. And the good news is, is that the minute she was born, they were gone. Yeah. It's all about pressure. So having a band is really important. So yeah, it's so important. If you have your babies close together, even if not, but if you're feeling that like heaviness, like even pain around your pubic bone, any varicose veins, I mean, belly binding like with a Bangkok belly bind or a pre-manufactured bind that you could get through medical insurance usually. Don't just buy it on Amazon. Ask your doctor for a prescription. is very helpful if you find yourself having any of this pain with the pubic bone, varicose veins, just pressure, frequent urination. These are things that just lifting, doing a little bit of an abdominal lift can help out. So... Any other complications with Olive's pregnancy? No, I would say all of it was a little bit harder. My recovery was a little bit harder, but otherwise I was fortunate to have two fairly uncomplicated pregnancies. Was she breech or head down? She was breech, same. She was breech from like very early on and never moved, never flipped. I bet you have a heart-shaped uterus. Has anybody ever told you that? 
you are the only person that has told me that. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. I bet you have a little septum and you have a heart-shaped uterus. That's my guess. Was she on the same side, head on left or head on right? Yeah. They were both head on my right, bottoms on the bottom, legs on my left. Yep. I am sure it is the shape of your uterus. So you just have a little extra heart in there. And if you no. think about it, like if you make a little heart with your hands, right? Yeah. You can see how the nook of their head would perfectly fit in the top of that heart and how it would be the most comfortable position yeah. and the easiest for them to grow. So amazing. So you schedule this cesarean section and you told me that this time it was routine. Your water did not break. You were able to show up at this right time. I showed up at the same time. I think two interesting points of note is that because I had eaten dinner and gone to the hospital with Henry and had my C-section, I felt well after it was over with Olive because I had been fasting since midnight the night before and had anesthesia. I just had a bad reaction. I didn't eat for almost 48 hours when Olive was born because I couldn't keep anything down and I just have a sensitive stomach. So like, that's an interesting thing that I always thought about. I wish I would have not been so sick after Olive was born. Well, that's something that anyone could talk to their provider about. If that's something you know about yourself in advance is talk to me about the risks and the benefits and the pros and the cons of consuming food prior to anesthesia. What are they really? High, low, medium? And could I eat something other than a popsicle? It's worth having a conversation rather than just a, you know, I hate when I hear people say, well, they wouldn't let me. I'm like, let you what? Did you play a role in that conversation? You know, so it's so important, Melissa, that you're sharing some of these things so that if anyone's looking to schedule their C-section by choice, or I hope it's always by choice, you know, but recommended and then chosen that you think about some of these things to take the time to have a conversation with your provider about. So let's talk about postpartum recovery from a C-section. All right, Melissa, I want to hear from you for your best pro tips on C-section recovery, how to rock it so you can get back to that corporate executive finance job in New York City, taking a train as quickly and healthfully as possible. Let's roll. What are some of the things that really helped you have a good recovery? We had a setup where we had a bed, a bathroom, and the baby's bassinet. We, we had them in a pack and play all in one small area. And we lived in a tall house with lots of stairs. So I just sort of stayed put. The lesson I learned is that the more you truly rest and, and let other people do for you, the faster your recovery will be. So I felt really just discomfort or pain for about a week. And then in two weeks, I was, I was able to get up and go for long walks in the hospital, get up and move. It may feel like you don't want to, but get up and walk around as soon as you can. That all helped me. So resting, but also short spurts of moving your body so that you don't get too stiff. I will put a plug in here too. There's an Instagram called expecting and empowered. So I think it's just Instagram.com forward slash expecting and empowered. And she has an entire series of stories on tips and tricks down to like putting a pillow into your abdomen and putting pressure on your abdomen with the pillow before you try to stand up. 
She teaches you how to stand up, how to roll over. I think some of those things are great too. Did you hire a night nurse or a postpartum doula? Or, you know, tell me about your, the help. you said you had a lot of help. Who, who's helping you? Sure. When Olive was born, we had our nanny there still with Henry. So that was a tremendous help that allowed us to just focus on our newborn mostly and not have to deal with the day-to-day of a toddler. When Henry was born, we decided not to. We sort of asked our family to just let it be us for the first week. We were home from the hospital. My husband was home with me. So did he have paternity leave? He took vacation for, he had paternity leave for Olive. By the time she was born, he had four weeks. When Henry was born, this was just vacation. And it was around the holidays. He was born the Sunday before Thanksgiving, which was just a good time of year for, you know, my husband at be home. That's so interesting. So did he switch companies or did the company he worked for implement paternity leave in between pregnancies? So he worked for the same company. We actually both worked for the same company. So what evolved for him was going from zero to four weeks. And what evolved for me was going from 12 12 weeks, eight of which were paid for a C-section, to going 16 weeks paid regardless of how you deliver. So yeah, we both got it better the second time around. High five. I know. I have deep respect for your company that you used to work for leading the way. It's still not enough for weeks and 16 weeks, but we're moving in the right direction, right? Yeah. So bravo. Thank you so much, Melissa, for coming on and teaching us today about pivoting from corporate America, following your dreams, planning your cesarean sections, embracing them, going with the flow when, you know, things like your water rupturing unannounced happens. And then some tips and tricks on resting and taking that time to let others serve you in the postpartum period for a cesarean. It was a wonderful morning to trade microphones today and to be able to interview you on your story. I would love for my audience to stick around. There is a bonus to this episode and you can hear how I built my company, Birth Story Media, with the support of Melissa and Melissa Euler Coaching how I turned my $0 stay-at-home, left corporate America into a six-figure income in less than two years with the guidance of Melissa. I would love for you all to hear one of our sessions together. So at the end of this episode, if you want to keep listening, you can hear Melissa coaching me. Thanks for being here today, Melissa. Thanks, Heidi. Thanks for sticking with us all the way to the end and listening to this incredible verse story. And thanks again to Melissa Euler of Melissa Euler Coaching for sponsoring this episode. If you find yourself at the end of this episode wanting more, needing more, seeking more for your life, for your transitions, for your personal goals, I urge you reach out to Melissa for support at melissaeuler.com. M-E-L-I-S-S-A-U-H-L-I-R.com or on social at Melissa Euler. You guys, I'm serious. I had zero dollars two years ago, no job, stay-at-home mom when I found out it was gonna be just me. Today, just two years later, she helped me grow a more than six-figure business. I am thriving as a single mom. And I am so thankful for her coaching. 
Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like. So is there anything that you need to clear before we get started today officially? Um, no, I just need to let you know that because I'm on call, if my phone rings, okay. they're at their appointment. I'm going to have to answer it. I'm sorry. Okay. So I may have to put you on hold for a second during okay. the call. Sounds perfect. Yeah. Um, and would a connection serve you this morning or do you just want to jump right in? Um, no, I need a connection. I'm okay. really discombobulated. Okay, good. I know it's been a busy, busy week, busy couple of days. So let's just take a minute. Take a deep breath. Try to let go of the stress and anxiety, the busyness of your day. Take a moment and center yourself. Get in touch with the warrior that you are. Get in touch with your most authentic self. Light the candle. <laughs> Dear. Okay. When you're ready to begin, you have an intention for a session, let me know. Okay. Okay. What's your right. intention for today? To discover it while we're talking. No. <laughs> I actually, <laughs> to, um, this is probably one of our last sessions before 2020 begins. And mm-hmm. so I kind of wanted to, like, kick off, like, I don't have, like, a vision statement or a mission for the company okay, or anything like that. And so I kind of just wanted to, to spend today thinking about, like, 2020. And okay. if I was sitting at the, this time, December of 2020, like, what do I hope that that looks like? So, like, what's my vision for the year? What's my mission for the year? Like, what are, like some of the top things that I hope happen. Does that make sense? It does. Um, yeah. So just to clarify, so we're really thinking about the year ahead, planning, vision, mission, um, and where you want to be the time next year. Yeah. And I guess before I do that, too, I want to kind of, like, say out loud some of the things from 2019 that I need to celebrate because I'm getting ready to like throw my end of the year party and send out my Christmas card and I have to write my um, end of year, like, yeah, my end of year annual report. Annual report. Thank you. I'm like, why Mm -hmm. can't I not think this morning? (laughs) I do have a master's in business. (laughs) Oh my God, my brain. So anyway, yeah, so I'm thinking about what's going to go in my annual report. So I wanted to kind of walk through some of the things that I've done this year, get them out on paper, and then that will help, like, me to craft my end of year and then think about next year. How will it serve you to, to talk about these things today? Um, I think it will be, like, inspiring and uplifting, first of all. It'll make me feel joyful and happy to think about all my successes because I spend so much time thinking about my to-dos and what's Mm going to come next. So just to take the time this morning for me, for my business, and to really think about what I have accomplished and what I've done and then where I'm going. 
personal, I think it's just going to make me feel proud. It's going to motivate me to keep going. Yeah. And to remind me that I'm just filled with so much purpose. Yeah. And that what I'm doing is important. That sounds great. So you mentioned talking about visions and missions for 2020 and celebrating for 2019. So where would you like to begin? Okay, so let's start with um, thinking about the things that were accomplished. So I launched a podcast. I wrote a book and brought on a medical director. So like you with my executive coaching, my investor, um, my marketing agency, and my publishing house, my podcasting coach, all my dual clients, and then my doula backup partners. So all the people, like, sometimes I think I don't work in a team, but, like, reminding myself, I really do have kind of a big team here and there for different things. So I want to make sure that, like, in my my end-of-year letter, I'm giving gratitude and thanks for all the people that have supported me, the people who um, pre-bought the book, email subscribers. Wow. Yeah. So the companion workbook. Oh, hello. Let me celebrate, like, I wrote a companion workbook. Amazing. Um, yeah. Um, I completed a focus group. Oh, I became part of the plus size doula directory, and um, I got certified as a hypnobabies, um, not instructor, but hypnobabies doula, and also the um, queer doula directory. So just kind of expanded my trainings. What else do I want to celebrate? Oh, I probably did 30 cycle rides. I mean, that doesn't sound like a lot. Hey. I think like what I log on the cycle bar, it's like, you've completed 30 rides. I'm like, oh, in my mind, I've done 155. (laughs) (laughs) So, I don't know. It was a busy year. So that's some of the things I want to celebrate. When you look back at this list, um, what specifically makes you proud? What makes me so proud, thank you for asking me that, is like I I built a company. So I did, and when I say I made two LLCs, two, Birth Story and my doula Heidi, I, um, I'm like, I'm just so proud of myself. I had a dream and I took it and did, and I actually did it. Like, I didn't just, like, have a dream about about doing – well, I mean, I had a dream about doing something for 15 years. But, I mean, I finally did it. And I did it – like, it, there couldn't have been a worse time, right? Like, my partner is transitioning gender. I'm in the middle of a divorce. I have toddlers. I have one with cerebral palsy. Like, mm-hmm. my life is falling apart. And instead, I chose to, like, fight back. And so I'm just so proud of myself that I could have curled up in a ball in my bed for this entire year and just fucking, sorry, I'm going to hear your recording. Okay. I could have just lost my bananas and just swallowed a bunch of pills and gained 150 pounds and not take care of my kids. But instead, I like, I don't know, I feel like I found my innermost roar and I just mm. built a company. I'm so proud of myself. Tears in my eyes. Tears in my eyes. Yeah. I'm so freaking proud of myself. 
and how is this in alignment with who you want to be on earth? Well, I definitely want to leave a legacy for my children of who I was or who I am, you know. Um, I want to serve God. I want to love people. I want to serve pregnant women. I want to be at home with my babies. You know, I am right now, though very poor, creating the life that I, I'm creating my best life and I'm betting on myself that hoping that I make a dollar someday, you know. I just want to acknowledge you because you've taken something that is, um, I want to say the word tragic, but just something that is completely life-disrupting and you've turned it into something so beautiful and so big and your ambition and zest for life is just contagious. And I'm just so happy to be here to witness it. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. So 2019. What a year. What a year. I'm like personally, <laughs> real rough. Professionally, really, there's such yin and yang, you know, like professionally, yeah. just so much that helps me you know, move on to the next day. So, I mean, this business saved my life, really. So, it's saving me. So, let's talk about 2020. Love it, girl. Okay. All right. So, I don't, you. I took my MBA classes a long time ago, so I don't really exactly remember the difference between a mission and a vision. I should probably look those up. <laughs> You know, so I'll just talk and we'll figure out what what that means. Sure. Um, so if I was at the end of 2020 and I was like looking back at this next year upcoming, um, the first word that comes to my mind is profitable. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Like, um, the boys are, this is the last year I have with my boys. Um, I mean, really, Max is, I only have a half a year because then he's going to kindergarten. But then I I have like this, this is my last full year with Jagger because then in 2021, I'll only be with him a half a year. So this is like my last full year with Jag, half year with Max. And I hope that at the end of it, I'm going to get so emotional on this call, but like, I hope at the end of it, like, I remembered why I don't work for corporate America. Like, I hope I don't hide behind my desk too much, right? Like, I hope this year I have, I'm able to, like, part of that mission and vision was to spend time with my children. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I hope I can look back and know, here are all the things I did to support them and love them and play with them that didn't involve work, (laughs) if that makes sense. Yeah. So somehow I need to figure out how to be profitable and be a stay-at-home mom. So anyway, so let's. Those are the first two things that come to mind. Um, I hope that I have a beautiful brand that I love, and that people start to recognize. Um, like I hope the name birth story gets 
traction in 2020. Um, I hope that I slow down on dual clients while raising my prices. <laughs> yeah. Because I want to phase out of, you know, being a doula all the time. I want to stay a doula to be relevant, but I really want to just give, I hope 2020 is the year I could kind of transition to um, just do more of the podcast and the book and the website and the courses and less hands-on, you know, clients. I hope I connect with as many women as possible. Um, on their journeys. Like, I hope to get more emails saying, you know, more tags, um, like with their, you know, people tagging me with their birth stories. Like, just more connection and interaction with who I'm trying to serve. Like, I want to hear from the people I'm serving, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, I hope that I can afford executive coaching. <laughs> can I put that <laughs> on my mission and vision? <laughs> Profitable, afford executive coaching. EC was on there. <laughs> um, I want to have some like kick-ass. Um, CEO, mompreneur um, interviews. I really feel like that's going to become my niche. Like that's kind of what gets me going. It's not just when I'm hearing their first stories, but when I'm hearing like like how they're doing it all, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How they navigated pregnancy and, you know, went back to work. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I just, I get really, I like hearing those stories. They resonate with me. And so I want it. I don't need to be something for everyone, but I think that there's a niche out there for career moms on their drive to work, to and from work that are pregnant. And that's kind of, as I become clearer with my vision, that's really where I see myself going. Mm. Um, yeah. Um <clears throat> Let me see. Um, I hope to invest at the end of 2020. I hope I would have invested more in myself too. Um, so, like this year, I'll probably complete those 35 cycle rides. So, I'd love to complete 50 to 100 cycle rides. I would love to finally do Jenna Kutcher's um, email. And Pinterest Labs. And um, just more like continuing education, like just always being a student. So I hope at the end of the year I took time to invest in myself in personal ways like exercise. Um, I, You know, I'm going to even put in here like lose weight, you know. I hope maybe this is a year that I've already started to lose weight, but like continuing to lose lose a little bit weight um i also hope that i in 2020 i look back and i have 
grown more in acceptance and surrendering um, to the life I have rather than the life I had planned on. Um, And that it's more joyful. Like, done with the freaking grace. Like, you can't just make it go away, you know. Um, I hope that there's... I know this sounds, like, kind of, like, weird, but I just hope there's a little bit of a buzz. Like, I just... With the... You know, I would love to be featured on some... I don't know, like a like I'd love to be on the Today Show. I'm not sure what's going to happen in 2020, but like <laughs> I would love to be featured as uh, someone doing something different, making an interactive guidebook that hasn't really been done before in the pregnancy pregnancy space. Like so, just kind of featured for doing something innovative. Um, I hope my story is public. At the end of 2020, I'm sick story. of Lake of Justin. I'm just tired of being in a closet I didn't ask to be in. Like, I hope I can, at the end of 2020, two years later, I hope I can proudly stand up and say, I am, I don't know, I mean, I guess we're married, but not married. I'm partnered with, but not married anymore to... Um, a transgender female who co-parents my children with me. I don't. How will it make you feel to be able to do that? Oh, uh, I don't know. I'm gonna handle that right now. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I don't know. Uh, I'll let you know after a few more counseling. But <laughs> okay. So, um. And then, uh, and then I guess part of my mission and vision is really like these online courses. So like, getting the website and the book launched, and then, you know, it's time to keep working. What's the next thing? And the next thing is the online courses. So um, when you look at these goals, what resonates the most with you? What is the the most important to your heart? The first two I mentioned for sure. Like I need to be profitable and I need to have time built. Like I'm not trying to be like the CEO of a company where I work 60 hours a week. So like work-life balance and profitability. Would you like to dig into either one of those more? More detail with our last uh, six or seven minutes? Um. Yeah, I guess because part of what would go into that, right, would be I hope in 2020 I'm able to hire an employee, right? Like, because I don't want to be, like, I've said that from the very beginning. I'm not trying to create a company so that then I just have to work all the time. I'm trying to create a company that does something beautiful and serves women and makes some money so that I can spend time with my family, but that's so that you know, I can focus on the fact that, you know, 
I can't ignore the fact that I have a transgender spouse and I can't ignore the fact that one of my children also has cerebral palsy. Like, like my, I just want to be with my kids. But I also want to be, like, out of the chains. I would love, here, let me write on profitability. I would love to write Justin a check at the end of this year and pay him back for every dime he's given me for child support and alimony in order to build this company. I want to give it back to him and say thank you so much. Thank you so much for helping me get here. I don't need your I don't need your money and I'd like to pay you back for what you did for us while I was building the company. That would be a huge dream. What makes that so important to you? Um this goes back to like deep childhood issues of my dad being like a super powerful attorney and my mom being an uneducated stay-at-home mom without a college degree and then they got divorced and then she floundered. And I don't, I've just never wanted to be that woman. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I just don't want his money. I want his partnership, her partner, whatever the pronoun is. You know, I want their partnership and their co-parenting, um, you know, but I'm a strong, smart woman. I don't want somebody's money. You know, I want to, yeah. I want to be equal partners financially, not means financially too. Like, I take care of them for when they're with me. You take care of them when we're with you. And that's the end of that story. We don't ever have to see the inside of a courtroom ever, which we never have in two in a year and a half. And I hope we never will. So um, I also want to pay off my student loan. So when I say profitable, I have these like financial goals, right? Like okay, pay off student loan. Pay Justin. <laughs> I don't know if all these happened in this one year, but you know, have an employee. Um, pay for executive coaching. <laughs> uh, you know, these are not else? like. Yeah, I mean, it's not like these huge things. It's not like you know, I want to buy a house in Hawaii. I mean, just like simple. I don't want to be in debt, and I want to be able to pay for groceries. So, I like it. Um, okay, so we've got just a few minutes left. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about to kind of feel complete um, with this session or with these thoughts? I guess I would like to tell myself that I'm going to commit to looking up the difference between a mission statement and a vision statement. Okay. <laughs> Writing. And writing something out. Like, I want to commit to writing something out. So, like, I today, I just feel like we got a lot of, like, thoughts out and stuff. But I yeah. want to make, I want to, you know, by by 1231, 2019, I want to have written my end-of-year letter um, and have a clear mission and vision um, with goals and timelines. For 2020, and then I want to hold myself accountable to those by turning them in to people like you and my investor, and making sure that if I don't hit reach a timeline, or like this is the hardest part about running your own business is like no one's riding my ass, you know. Like I, you know, this year I want someone to say, okay, Heidi, you committed to this. Are we on? Are we on target? for that 
I think that's like the hardest part of transitioning from corporate America into being solo is yeah. like, you know, if there are days I don't want to ride my own. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of helpful to have somebody be like, okay, this <laughs> <you> do. <laughs> I struggle with exactly the same thing. I get it. Yeah, it's tough. I get it, girl. Yeah. Okay, so what you said is you want by, by 1231, you want to have a writ, you've written the, um, the letter, the annual report, and have a clear mission and vision statement for 2020. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you need that you don't currently have in order to complete that goal? Um, no. Mm-mm. The only thing that, that's coming out of my brain right now that I just need to make sure I put on paper, which is a little bit off topic, is okay. all my expenses are under one credit card right now. I mean, not really credit mm-hmm. card, but like credit card that then gets paid off by a checking account. Yeah. And my accountant is like, you are making me a financial nightmare right now because my businesses are two different businesses. My doula Heidi is one business and then birth story is another business, but I'm putting mm-hmm. all the expenses on the same account. Mm-hmm. So I need to get a, I just need to say that out loud. I need to get a second credit card for my doula Heidi so that when I have my doula Heidi Inc that goes on that card. And when I have, you know, a podcasting convention for birth story, that's a totally separate account. Because now I have to print out 12 months of statements with two different colored highlighters. And say, oh yellow, yellow's for my blue eyes, yellow's for birth story. And my outfit is like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so. so what I'm hearing is open separate accounts for the two different yeah. businesses. Yeah, yeah, I know. I just, for some reason, that was this lingering thing that's in my head. Because it's, you know, it's the end of the year. And so all these things are going to be very quickly. So do you want to set a timeline for completing Yeah, that? Yeah, like before Christmas, because I by January 1, I need to be operating under both separate accounts for 2020, so I don't do it again. Awesome. Okay, dear, well, that brings us to the end um, of our time, but before we hang up, I just want to take a minute and um, to see, as you look back on everything we discussed, what did you learn? What did you learn about yourself? Well, I feel like I learned that I I feel like I'm just I don't I'm doing a lot more than I think I'm doing. <laughs> like yeah. sometimes I just feel like right now that like I'm like really emotional on this call, sorry, but like somehow this year I just feel like Jesus is just like carrying me. Yeah. And I I'm like, how did all these things happen? Like I'm like, who did that? I'm like, I did all this stuff. Yes. I'm like, what did I do all this stuff? I'm like, I just, yeah, I just, you know, I just, I'm just really proud of myself. And I just really pray that this keeps going and growing and that the momentum just keeps building. So, because this is the part of my day that brings me so much joy. I mean, as much as I do love, like, you know, playing with my kids, uh, like Legos on the floor, but I mean, I like being with them. But my the thing that makes me wake up in the morning and just get excited is just 
being able to sit down at my desk and build and create something. So I'm just going to keep paying attention to that. Beautiful. So thank you so much for this year, Melissa. Oh, you're welcome. I'm so proud of you, too. It's been such a wonderful journey. <laughs>